0: Catholic world is still trying to process the contents of the letter exchange between Cardinal Nichols and Archbishop Roche about the scope and purpose of Traditionis Custodis. Well, the part of the Catholic world that is paying attention to the finer details of the internal debate in the Church over the heart and soul of Catholicism at any rate. And today I have an entry into that debate provided by Father Hunwick on his personal blog, Now, a blog entry may not sound that important, but he goes over an enormous claim that was in that letter made by Archbishop Roach that I did not cover in my coverage of this original story on Monday, that being of the claim made by Archbishop Roach that Pope Paul VI abrogated the traditional Latin Mass officially. That's worth going over because it illustrates that Archbishop Roach and likely, by extension, Pacapapa Francis are operating on their own set of facts, and by doing so, they're admitting something that even the most, well, the most reform-loving predecessors of theirs have never actually admitted, and that's it's a big deal. So let's dive into this. But first, I wanted to thank the patrons and channel members for their continued support of this channel. By contributing like a dollar a month to the work of this channel, they keep this news and analysis coming, so a big thanks to them. If you want to become a patron of the channel, there are links to Patreon and Subscribestar in the description box below, or you can click that join button below the screen. Anyway, thanks, and let's get into these letters. It's been now four months since that document was promulgated. Four long months since Traditionis Custodus. And as I said when it was released, this will be remembered as the landmark document of Francis's alleged papacy. Now, not laudato si, not amoris laetitia, but traditionis custodis, and only because previous pontiffs, with the exception of Paul VI, all claimed that as Pope, that they had no authority to meddle with the liturgy in significant ways. Now, Francis has meddled with it and his hirelings have been selling his actions to the bishops and laity, and chief among the hirelings that are doing this is Archbishop Roach, who has been tasked with the slow elimination of the traditional Latin Mass. In the letter that was leaked to the public this past weekend, Archbishop Roach makes a number of major claims, and I go over most of those in my video I did on this past Monday, and if you haven't watched it yet, please do so to catch up. But the claim he makes that I didn't cover at that time is actually the biggest claim, the erroneous claim, that Paul VI formally suppressed the Latin Mass, or it's erroneous in the sort of official sort of narrative that the Church has given us since the time of Paul VI. We'll go over this distinction here. Father Hunwick wrote on his personal site about this, and I'll quote him, because frankly, he's more of a liturgist and canon lawyer than I am. From his piece, he says, quote, My first surprise when reading Roach's letter was to read that, in Roach's view, the Preconciliar Liturgy was abrogated by Pope St. Paul VI. Pope Benedict wrote in *Summorum Pontificum, Article I, that the Roman Missal, as promulgated in 1962, was never abrogated. In the accompanying letter that he wrote to the world's bishops, he iterated this historic fact. I would like to draw attention to the fact that this Missal was never juridically abrogated and consequently, in principle, was always permitted. Roach could perhaps have argued that the 1962 Missal has now, by implication, been abrogated by Pope Francis by virtue of Traditionis Custodis, or in some other way. Roach chose instead to assert that it was abrogated by St. Paul VI, but on July 7th, 2007, Pope Benedict explicitly excluded any such abrogation. What on earth are we supposed to believe? End quote. And it's a good question. Who do we believe? Pope Benedict XVI or the current presumed pontiff, Francis? There are people out there that have an untenable position. There are some, brace yourselves for this line of thinking, it's a hard one to wrap your mind around. There are some that say that a pope can change the nature of reality itself. They do this by claiming that when a pope says something, it's true. So when Benedict said it, that the Latin Mass has never been abrogated, it was true. And when Francis says now that it was abrogated, it's also true, despite that position being logically impossible. Please don't be like that. Benedict, either Benedict is right or Francis is right, but both cannot possibly be correct in this. Now on Monday I quoted Pius V's Papal Bull, quo primum, which suppressed liturgical reforms in the West that were younger than two hundred years of age and made the rite of Rome, the traditional Latin Mass as we now call it, the normal rite of mass for the Church in the West. The rite of Rome, again, we that's what we'll can call it here, was much older than 200 years old, and it can be traced through organic development to the Apostolic Age. It goes back at the very least to the time of St. Gregory the Great in the 6th century, a thousand years before the time of St. Pius V, and really most liturgical scholars admit that it goes back even before the time of St. Gregory the Great. It is the oldest liturgy in the Church, the traditional Latin Mass, according to some scholars. Now, here is what Pius V said on this matter, in order for us to figure out the answer to who is right between Benedict and Francis. Quote, Furthermore, by these presents, this law, in virtue of our apostolic authority, we grant and concede in perpetuity that, for the chanting or reading of the Mass in any church whatsoever, this missal is hereafter to be followed absolutely, without any scruple of conscience or fear of incurring any penalty, judgment, or censure, and may freely and lawfully be used. Nor are superiors, administrators, canons, chaplains, and other secular priests or religious, or whatever title designated, obliged to celebrate the Mass otherwise than as enjoined by us. We likewise declare and ordain that no one whatsoever is forced or coerced to alter this missile, and that this present document cannot be revoked or modified, but remain always valid and retain its full force, notwithstanding the previous constitutions and decrees of the Holy See, as well as any general or special constitutions or edicts of provincial or synodal councils, and notwithstanding the practice and custom of the aforesaid churches established by long and in- immemorial prescription, except, however, if more than 200 years standing, end quote. In other words, the normative, or to use modern language here, ordinary form of the Mass in the Roman Rite, according to St. Pius V, was what we now call the traditional Latin Mass, and that declaration had infallible-sounding language contained in it in the form of anathemization of any figure of any rank in the Church who tries to end the Latin Mass. Papal infallibility was was a dogma before it was declared by Vatican I. That, that's just how things go. Now this all brings us back to Father Hunwick. He goes on to say that Roach could claim that Francis abrogated the traditional Latin mass, which might be a dicey issue for him because, according to Quo Primum, all involved would anathematize themselves if, if Quo Primum is to be believed, which is an admission that the powers in Rome probably would never make, nor would any of the more mainstream critics of Francis make that either. I'm glad I'm not one of those, to be honest with you. That will simply never happen. But after saying that Roach could make that claim, we get this from the priest. Quote, if Pope Benedict's clear statement made twice that 1962 was not abrogated by St. Paul VI, can be trashed like this by a mere curial official, it is clear that definitive statements by the present Pope can also as easily be trashed or even more easily trashed. My words above treat what really is but a canonical detail, but there is a dogma here as well. Benedict Sixteenth wrote in that letter to the bishops, In the history of the liturgy there is growth and progress, but no rupture. What earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too, and it cannot be, all of a sudden, entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. He was, in fact, reiterating the teaching he gave when he was prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. After the Second Vatican Council, the impression arose that the Pope could really do anything in liturgical matters, especially if he were acting on the mandate of an ecumenical council. Eventually, the idea of the givenness of the liturgy, the fact that one cannot do with it what one will, faded from the public consciousness of the West. In fact, the First Vatican Council had in no way defined the Pope as an absolute monarch. On the contrary, it presented him as a guarantor of obedience to the revealed word. The Pope's authority is bound to the tradition of faith. End quote. This is something we must all understand, since the definition of the dogma of papal infallibility most Catholics have fundamentally misunderstood what it even means. The Pope is not an oracle, and he is certainly not the embodiment of the Church itself. He has no more right to tinker with the deposit of the faith than either do you or I. The vast majority of the popes in history understood this. The saints, along with the great sinners of papal history, and everyone in between, even Alexander VI, was not guilty of trying to change the deposit of the faith, and he is often regarded as the worst pope in the history of the Church. Infallibility is a strictly limited faculty of the Pope, and it does not permit the Pope to redefine the faith. But, the, but the, here we go, the priest continues, and he gives us this, quote, And this is in line with the decree by which St. Pius V promulgated his 1570 edition of the Roman Missal. This decree is often misrepresented. People talk and write as if St. Pius imposed his edition on the West, while allowing earlier rites to continue. He did nothing of the sort. He ordered those earlier rites to continue. Unless, unanimously, bishop and chapter should choose to use his addition instead. Those who claim that recent pontiffs are doing no more than St. Pius V did are either misinformed or untruth tellers. He prohibited the disuse of rites which had been in place for less than 200 years. Recent Roman documents claim to be able to forbid a rite which has been in place for much more than 200 years. End quote. And the recent Roman document that the priest is citing is, of course, Traditionis Custodis. But this brings up something few are mentioning, and a listener in the comments on Monday pointed this out. Paul VI may not have explicitly expressed the Latin Mass, but in practice he did. It was a de facto suppression through his actions, if not in his words. The late Michael Davies described what Paul VI did as frankly canonically illegal. Now, you may be wondering, how can a pope act against the law? Aren't they above the law? Hardly. The issue is that who can judge them in their lifetimes of being in violation of the laws of God and his church? Quoting Mr. Davies' analysis of the de facto suppression of the Tridentine Mass, The bishops often point out that the Pope has the power to make liturgical changes, and that all the changes made by Pope Paul VI come within his legal competence. This, they appear to think, settles the matter. But it doesn't. A pope is meant to use his awesome powers as a shepherd, not as a tyrant. He is under the same obligation as any legislator not to impose laws to which his subjects will find too difficult or distressing to obey. Indeed, it appears self evident that the popes should set an example to others in this respect. There is a sound tradition among Catholic theologians and canonists that subjects have a right to resist unjust or too burden le- to burdensome legislation, even though the legislator has not exceeded. The strict limits of his authority in imposing it. The problem faced by the Vatican, as a result of the widespread support for the Tridentine Mass, was that it had condoned its almost universal suppression without giving formal and binding legal sanction to this suppression. And furthermore, this illegal suppression has been given support in documents emanating from the Sacred Congregation for Divine Worship. There is no doubt at all that Pope John Paul II was sympathetic to those who, while recognizing authority, wished to utilize the Tridentine Mass. Pope Paul VI was much less sympathetic, due no doubt to the fact that he considered his personal credibility to be bound up closely with the alleged success of the reform. The unhappy pontiff maintained right up to his death that the post-conciliar liturgical reform had been a pastoral triumph, bringing immense spiritual benefits to the faithful though marred here and there by a few unauthorized excesses, end quote. By the way, does Paul VI's thinking there sound familiar to you, <laughs> because it should. That's what we've been told now for five decades. Benedict XVI once said that the liturgy is not the plaything of the popes. He was right, and Mr. Davies was right. But was Archbishop Roach correct in saying the Latin Mass was suppressed by Paul VI? Yes. Paul VI did it illicitly, but he did suppress it. That is the, all the accounts of that period of church history. The accounts of those who lived through that experience attest to that, with faithful traditional Catholics pushed to the margins, with no thought of accompanying them in the dark days of the 1970s and 80s, and with the only bishop to defend the deposit of the faith, Archbishop Lefebvre, demonized and himself pushed to the margins for keeping the faith despite illicit orders from Rome to the contrary. And all of that has led us to a question. If Roche is right that Paul VI suppressed the mass, Is Francis doing the same thing? Paul VI acted against the deposit of the faith when he did so, and there are implications to be had from that. And they may apply equally, if not more so, to Francis in our time, because Francis is explicitly doing it in writing. A traditionus custodis, too, is almost certainly coming, folks. And the next logical move is to put a sunset on the Latin Mass, to give it an explicit and expiration date. So wait for that, because that could be in the next couple of years. Perhaps that expiration date will be 2030, since that seems to be a big year for the henchmen of the Leviathan that Francis is just so enamored with. Now, if you'd like to read the article from Father Hunwick for yourself or the Michael Davies piece, I have them linked in my show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast, with a dot org at the end. Now, what do you think about this piece? Is what Francis is doing um, essentially backing himself into a canonical corner by violating the immemorial traditions of the church and explicit papal bulls that appear to still be in effect. Let me know in the comments, please, and as always, please, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.